Do you want to bring balance to all the wireless radiation fields in your life, including 5G? The Omnia Radiation Balancer is a small sticker you can stick on any device. It changes the state of the field and creates a new resonance between the wireless radiation and your energy field. On the link below you'll see all our testing results that show how the body responds excellently once you've made this change in your life. And here's a special offer for the Journey to Truth crowd. Just enter the word TRUTH in caps at the checkout for your 10% discount. It's easy to bring balance back to your body with the Omnia Radiation Balancer. Hey guys, welcome back. Um, before we get started tonight, a few things. Uh, just once again, want to remind you guys that tickets are still available for the Great Family of Light Gathering in Sedona, Arizona, July 23rd through the 25th. Aaron and I will be speaking there. Um, it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, so if you want to come hang out with us, and uh, I mean, there's a lot of great speakers. Um, it's a great deal, only $333 for the ticket. Oh, and one thing I do want to address last episode, I jokingly said that i got the jab i think we both did we both jokingly said it it was a joke and we've been getting comments of people like i can't believe you got the yeah, yeah. They, they they actually they didn't realize we were joking so i just we want to clarify was. neither of us have gotten the jab nor will we get it um we've had people say oh i stopped watching immediately as soon as i heard you say that <laughs> no so we, it, it was just a joke we thought it was obvious it was a joke but apparently it wasn't yeah some people just, so. just to clarify that <laughs> sorry about the confusion there uh yeah um anyway tonight we're joined by brad olson he's an author researcher of the esoteric realm and uh and sacred sites and uh, he's just came out with a new book we're going to be getting into that a little bit but he's best known in my eyes for his research in antarctica and he's one of the few who's had the pleasure to actually go there two and a half years ago January, February of uh, 2019. So we're going to hear about that a little bit, get into some of the current stuff and the history. Um, there's a lot going on down there, and I think it's important to pay attention. So welcome to the show, Brad. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me on the journey to the truth. And uh, I won't be joking either to say that I haven't gotten the Franken jab. So no, <laughs> no joke there. Good, good to know. I'm yeah. very serious. Not good taking to know. It. Yeah awesome yeah good for you good no for you. i mean it's, it's pretty obvious at this point that it's not a good idea um at least in my eyes you uh, guys do what you want <laughs> yeah everyone can do what they want but uh i would recommend against it um so anyway uh, i guess if you want you can give us a brief little background of how you got into this and and then why antarctica you know i know that i know you always talk about it but um, you've been there. You're one of the few who've had the chance to go there. And I just think that's very interesting, especially what's going on there right now. So if you'd like to just take it away. Sure, sure. Well, Antarctica, probably like you guys, was just always this dream. Wow, what's down there? We've heard so many things from giant craft under the ice to possibly Atlantis or antediluvian civilization to pyramids poking through and secret bases and so forth. So uh, as a researcher in this field, who uh, 
is very, very interested in these subjects like you guys, I had the uh, ability to do it. I had the time, the money, and the desire to go down to the frozen continent. And so that was after uh, buying a Ford Expedition that was totally outfitted for overland travel, put about 5,000 miles on that, bought it in Santiago, Chile, drove it all the way up to, uh, to the farthest north was Oye Tambo in Peru, where you catch a train to Machu Picchu, did a tour with uh, Nassim Harriman and Brian Forrester to all the sacred places in Peru and then crossing over into Bolivia. That trip was finished and then my partner and I carried on all the way down through the entire length of Argentina, which is the eighth largest country in the world by size and one of the longest um, straight shots. And that's totally fascinating because along the way was going to um, checking out a lot of the sites where supposedly the Fourth Reich set up after World War II. We get into that. Uh, yeah, I, I would that. actually, I would love to get into that. that. Great, yeah. Um, and I've just been doing some research on that myself. And I, I'm just curious to, I, I'd love to converse about that. And, you know, sure, sure. yeah, let, let's definitely compare notes because went to all the big ones, uh, La Falda, which is outside of Cordoba, which is huge uh, industrial Mecca right after World War II. Where did they get all the money? Where did they get all the know-how? Where did they open up these big production facilities? Yeah, the money that escaped out of, Germany after World War II, including the money man, Martin Bormann, who was the number two at the time of the end of the World War II. And he kept popping up all over South America. So we'll get into that too. And then went to uh, San Carlos de Bariloche. And that's, oh man, it's like you're in Bavaria when you go there. It's very Germanic in many ways. Mm -hmm. Then kept going all the way down, crossing over the Magellan Strait to Terra del Fuego, which we see in the alternative news now that this is like a, an overflow from Guantanamo Bay that they're actually holding tribunals down there and holding some uh, very high-end prisoners. So as I was just telling you guys in the uh, pre-conversation before this interview, traveling to this part of the world is very difficult, if not impossible, because there were many border stops you had to go through. And in 2019, 2018, 2019, when I had the, the vehicle, uh, it wasn't really a problem, although it filled half of my passport all the times in and out, including some days it would be waking up in Argentina, crossing over into Chile, the day we crossed the Magellan Strait in a ferry, then checking out of Chile and back into Argentina. So it was, it was six stamps in one day. So Jeez. it's that kind of thing. And then this is very interesting. So we get down to uh, Ushuaia. Argentina is the southernmost city of the world. It's where 90% of all the boat traffic leaves for Antarctica during the season, which is November to March. You really can't go any before or soon or after because the weather's just very foul. Of course, right now they've just had their winter solstice and it's it's blistering cold. Well, and we're getting all the heat out here in the West. So what was really interesting though re regarding passports, first time in my life, and I've been to all seven continents of the world now and about 50 countries or so the only time ever i got stamped out of a location leaving argentina but didn't get stamped in anywhere it was only until we got back to argentina 26 days later stamped back into argentina so that's kind of a weird little quirk of traveling down there it is kind of a no man's land 
per the Antarctica Treaty, it is ceded to the whole world. It is a, a biosphere, like a, a world park uh, that is open to tourism. One of the other misconceptions is it was very limited as far as where you could go. Um, I talked to a travel company that does expeditions because I'm now in talks with um, some production companies about going down there with a film crew. And they pretty much said, look, if you know where you want to go, we can get you there. So well, if, you, if you need another crew member, uh, <laughs> let me know. <laughs> well, you and about everybody else. But, yeah, I'm sure. Uh, I'm sure. You guys look like you're in pretty good shape. I, I'd, I'd, I'd uh, weigh that more heavily. Oh, yeah. <laughs> any other talk yes because <laughs> boy i'll tell you this and and as i said i've traveled a bit and this is one that really kicked my ass because you have to go over the drake passage and it is notoriously the roughest seas of the world and it sure was rough when we went and two-thirds of our boat of 14 of us so it was 11 poles on a polish vessel called chief one and three americans um about 10 of us got violently seasick fortunately the captain did not he got us down there and then that was pretty much over and once you're at the islands off of the palmer peninsula it's pretty smooth sailing there's a lot of channels including some really beautiful narrow channels called uh, the lemire straits that we went through there's just towering mountains on either side glaciers coming down I mean, the, the natural beauty is really unparalleled mm -hmm. It's about as close, I would say, as going off planet here on Earth. Just seeing somewhere that that just looks nowhere. That's so foreign. Familiar. Yeah. yeah. There's no trees. There's no bushes. There's really nothing green. There's a couple of little mosses and lichens, some of the northern islands. But really, it's just black mountains, white glaciers, blue sky, blue ocean, black and blue animal, black and white animals like penguins and whales and seals. And it's and they have no fear of humans, really. That that was another thing that was quite uh, astonishing. Animals will just not run away. You could come right up to a penguin and a mother with your camera, and she's kind of like, "Hey, man, you're blocking my view. Get out of the way." <laughs> That's awesome. And we had a whale go right under our boat, and uh, oh wow, seals are looking at us just as curiously as we're looking at them. So that that was truly remarkable. But what awesome. I went down there for was this whole notion of trying to find any kind of evidence or people who knew about these things that we've heard about so many times with Antarctica stories, the most fascinating and perhaps widely reported is that there's the three, not just one, but three massive craft under the ice, mm -hmm. which yeah. range in size from three miles across to 30 miles across. I mean, that big. And they've even gotten the nickname from the uh, intelligence agencies, those three-letter agencies that uh, watch out for these kind of things. They call them the Nina Pinta and Santa Maria. Santa Maria, that's right. Columbus's first voyage. So I think I've pinpointed one of them in, strangely enough, the new Schwabenland claim of Nazi Germany. Yeah. And I would contend that they knew about this craft and they well, have been studying it ever since, even up to this modern day. Yeah, well, Germany made... They were making trips and they made a trip in 1901 and 1911 to Antarctica for scientific, for exploration purposes. Right. Um, but I don't think that's why. I mean, I think they were looking for something, artifacts or, or this craft. Um, but, yeah, they knew they knew something was there. And 
that might have had everything. And New Schwabenland was actually named after the ship, the vessel that they that they um, traveled there on. So that's correct. Yep. Yeah. But and that was in the 1930s, the late 19, 30s. yeah, 1938 is when they uh, technically established that. Um, right. But then there's a whole rabbit hole there as far as why and what they were doing. Oh, you bet. And the rabbit hole just keeps getting deeper and deeper and deeper the more you get into some of this stuff. And uh, in my new book, Beyond Esoteric, Escaping Prison Planet, I do have some maps of New Schwabenland. These are German maps that mm -hmm. have just come out including this one showing ways that U-boats could go under the ice to access the new Berlin base. And I have a pretty good idea of where that's located. Just reading the accounts of some of those German expeditions, including the flight by a flight commander named Schumacher who landed in these lakes, which are geothermal lakes. They never freeze mm -hmm. because they're heated with geothermal vents. He stayed behind the boat and was testing the water, found that it got warmer the deeper you go. If you guys swim in lakes in the Midwest like I do, you know that when you swim down deep, it gets colder, it's cold. right? Yeah, yeah it gets colder yeah. the deeper you go. Here it was the opposite. The deeper you go, the warmer it got. So he was able to establish that this was very much a, a geothermally heated lake. And then, so with that in mind, and knowing that Antarctica is the most volcanically active continent in the world, uh, 91 known volcanoes with a sheet of ice two miles thick over the polar plateau, you can imagine that this geothermal activity could create these giant domes under the ice, which could even be uh, hospitable to human existence. And then you have the geothermal vents that can be used for energy, for heat, for production. Um, so the reports are that there are these big, even factory locations in some of these locations of the ice. And I do believe this is what the Germans discovered in that uh, Schwabenland expedition, that they found one of these big caverns that could also be accessed by their U-boat submarines well, to get in there deep. And my theory is that they already knew that this cavern was there. Otherwise, they wouldn't have they wouldn't have just fled there with no plan after the war. Um, they knew where they were going. To me, if if they had already oh, yeah. been there in 1901 and 1911, and each time they spent two years there, which is a long time doing research, they they were doing something there. Um, that that's a really good point, Tyler. Because not only did they uh, find something there, but the U-boat admiral Donitz said that we have found, uh, created an impregnable fortress for our Fuhrer. He, he akined it to Shangri-La in mm -hmm. a faraway region of the world. And then in another reference called it in a kingdom of ice being completely surrounded. So that could be the Arctic region, but it is more likely to be this Antarctic region. So New Schwabenland, this claim of land is directly below South Africa as we know through apartheid, was uh, sympathetic to fascist causes such as the uh, Third Reich. And here's another one for you guys. At the end of World War II, it was the fighting forces of the Wehrmacht and the Luftwaffe Air Force and the Navy that surrendered. The Third Reich never surrendered. They just went underground. 
And by yep. that, I literally mean they went underground. Yeah. And they yeah. had the best technology for creating <laughs> underground bunkers. Many of those Project Paperclip Nazis that came over here to America following the war, they started all of our deep underground military bases too. Absolutely. So I would also say that they probably bored into these mountains near the Schumacher Ponds, which all have German names, the Wurlig Hoffman Mountain Range, and they're big black granite mountains. So talk about an impregnable fortress for our Fuhrer. That would be about the best place you could put it. I mean, yeah, it was basically an infiltration after the war. If you if it's you don't win anything when you have all the top German scientists coming in and putting them in top positions in our major corporations and 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 making them putting them in charge or responsible for um, um, digging these underground bases. I don't know. There's a lot. There's a lot there to unpack. Yeah. And and you can kind of chronicle this creeping fascism into this country with the advent of these project paper clips. You've just slowly been seeing our constitutional rights being whittled away, more and more of these uh, mandates and taking away our, our civil rights slowly but surely. And, and that's why the whole first section of Beyond Esoteric is called neo-fascism, where I really get into um, how this occurred. So one thing I like to do with my host, because the nickname or the subtitle of the book is Escaping Prison Planet, I do like to ask my host, what does that mean to you? And if you could uh, explain to your audience and me what Prison Planet means and how would one escape? I'd, I'd really love to hear you guys' feedback on that. I would recommend that everybody get your book and read it to find out. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a great plug, yeah, Tyler. All right. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Uh, I, man, I don't know. We, I, I just made a post about this today about the, the whole system is set up to enslave us, and you know, they, and they and and not just not just for like greedy purposes. They want to keep us shut down so we don't actually like ascend. Let's just use that word and tap into our true potential and become the person, the human that we're supposed to be without without all these restraints. And that's what they're scared of. They don't want us tapping in and seeing through the illusion so as far as escaping yeah obviously we're not going to escape off planet but you can escape that system if you if you understand what's happening it makes it a lot easier now to navigate your life or navigate through all this stuff without being um without falling for the mind control you know and all that stuff i mean i could go on and on but you get the point luckily i don't I don't think soon we'll need to escape because it's crumbling before our eyes right now. The whole control system um, from everything I see going on um, and the awakening is happening and the ascension is happening. So, but like Tyler said, you can escape it now by, by awakening yourself and not living, not complying with um, all these things that we are they, we are programmed to comply with and to, and to live in this dumbed down state, this very unconscious state, um, just living to consume and work a job you hate for 40 hours a week and yeah. just living to survive basically. And, uh, in this low vibrational state, which is what they want to keep us in. That's how the whole control slavery system works. And they feed off of us through that. So the moment we start awakening and not living in that way and living in a sovereign state they can't control us anymore and they lose their food source so 
that's like the worst thing that that was a much better much them. better answer than mine <laughs> oh thank you <laughs> yeah. yeah aaron you haven't said much uh, the whole time so far but man you nailed it there oh that's thank great. you yeah. thank you yeah, yeah. I, uh, tyler leads the, yeah. <laughs> the whole thing so i chime in when i can so. um yeah no that was great though seriously I, you. I, you put it perfectly i hope that did we get the answer right Oh yeah, yeah. There's no wrong. <laughs> it's, 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 it's subjective to uh, each interviewer's yeah. take on it. And, yeah. Well, I put 480 pages into that exact answer. So uh, yeah, you might have to get the book to get my take on it. But I do you want to get your something there right at the end there, Aaron. That we're not their food source. Mm -hmm. And did you mean uh, on a dimensional level uh, with, with the archons and yes, being the loose ultimately on that level. Yes, yeah. exactly. Cause I have a chapter in here called being aware of predatory species to give people an idea that we're not the top of the totem pole here, that uh, mm -hmm. there is a pecking order that can even go higher. And it's not just <clears throat> the physical consumption of people, which does occur, occur but yeah. also off of our emotional state, the fear that can be generated is an emotional energy food source for some of this these archonic entities in the lower fourth dimensional realm. And yep. humans, we're just handicapped because we know so little about this. So I, I really appreciate you bringing that up, Aaron, because it helps to get this out there and have this discussion to help other people understand what's really going on. Yeah, well, yeah. I like how you Thank use you. it is a handicap. I like that term. Um, but once you're aware, then obviously everything changes because you start seeing things for what they are. Uh, which luckily, like you said, a lot of the stuff is being cleared out, uh, including in and in, in Antarctica right now with mm -hmm. what we're seeing. Um, there there this naval officer, I don't know who I don't even know if he's a naval officer, but he's stationed at McMurdo, I guess the shipping yeah. post down there. And there was a report that came out from him just recently stating that all of these German speaking people are leaving and being shipped to and or Argentina right now. But then he said at the same time, all these other countries are moving in New Zealand, Turkey, Australia, um, China. South America, China, yeah. China, Africa, China actually has five bases built there and they're building four more right now. And mind you, all this stuff is happening right now. In the worst time of year when the weather conditions couldn't are absolutely the worst so what's going on down there why are they moving in like you just said there's a time of year where it's just inhospitable down there but they're building right now during that um something's happening and there's all these germans that are leaving yeah that's on they're, they're noticing that's why i said they're going to yeah. argentina yeah so that would tell me that maybe those bases are being cleared out for some reason and you can get all get, get as deep as you know. There's a portal down there that that they're protecting, or some people are trying to get to that portal, which essentially takes you to Aldebaran, which is the which is the star of the planet that Maria Orsic was channeling. Yeah. Uh, she was you know, or she was in communication with the ETs, the Nordics from that planet, and that's how the Germans even got their UFO blueprints. Um, there's a lot of connections there. Absolutely. Just an anecdote from my trip down there, the very first place we laid anchor and went ashore was the Polish base called Arktowski. And it's on King George Island, which is a, a string of islands just off of the uh, Palmer Peninsula. Boy, it was great to set foot on ground. But when we got there, you get this tranquil bay um, 
with glaciers all around, but way off in the distance, you could see some lights. And I asked uh, someone from the Polish base, what's going on over there? And they said, it's a new Chinese base. And not only are they, have they just moved in, they've moved in in force. And if, if you know how the Chinese build, they just come in like, yeah, <laughs> a whole swarm <laughs> of people and they just get the job done and they go big That's and they're going big. Yeah. That's and so true. I've watched construction videos. They, they work around the clock in, in China. Oh, yeah. like they, they, they first, second and third shift, no matter what the project is like here, we do it. Like if there's like a deadline, but that's just like standard procedure for them and it goes quick and they have tons of people. So I know what you're saying. And, and, and as you mentioned, Tyler, it's not just uh, one or two, it's five bases. They're building simultaneously in the darkest depths of winter when usually everybody leaves the continent except of a skeleton crew at some of the year-round bases. Only a thousand people are normally there on the off season, mm -hmm. uh, even though it's the fifth largest continent of the world. Can you imagine? We hear so much about overpopulation and here's this giant landmass <laughs> that has only 1000 humans on it. It's amazing. Yeah. And, and to your point of the evacuation, I'm uh I work with Dr. Michael Sala through mm -hmm. exopolitics.org. He's the one who has been reporting on this uh, naval person at McMurdo Station, which is the largest base in Antarctica. It is run by the Americans. It's one of our three larger bases, including uh, the Palmer Station, which I visited, and the Amundsen-Scott South Pole Station, which, interestingly enough, has associations with the NSA. And there is a building in McMurdo that is reportedly an NSA building, but nobody can go there. Nobody knows what's going on in there. And NSA, until the 1980s, wasn't even admitted to exist. That's where the nickname comes, No Such Agency. And yeah. They are the, the agency that is largely tasked with anything to do extraterrestrial related. So any uh, down crash retrieval, they're Johnny on the spot, getting cordoned off, creating a cover story if they need it, um, and and also working with these locations in Antarctica. Now, you, you made a great point, Tyler, that there could be this Stargate down there. Well, in my questioning of everywhere I went in Antarctica, as well as before I left talking to ship captains, crew uh, at the uh, Ushuaia Yacht Club, we were there for New Year's Eve big party i was just kind of going table to table hey you guys go to antarctica you know anything about crafts under the ice or what's going on in that? well largely i got a big uh no we don't know or they weren't willing to talk what i did find out is at the south pole there's a massive no-fly zone mm -hmm. which is pretty unique if you think about it yourself when i brought this up with george norio i was on his show yeah. beyond belief we're talking off camera and george why do they need a no-fly zone there Nobody goes down there. Yeah. Why do you got to keep people from flying? And he's right. That's a yeah. Why do you need a no fly zone Why? where nobody goes? There's no there's no reason unless well there's a there's massive a hole under the ice, and it happens to be exactly where Admiral Byrd, who was also a, a very good navigator, was one of the first people to fly over the South Pole. 1929. So yeah. Gaping hole in the ice, mm. 40 miles across. It's so big that he felt good enough dropping his plane into circling around and then coming back out and still having enough uh, gas to get back to little America. And so 
not only him, but then there's whistleblowers that have talked to Linda Bolton Howe, one guy named Brian S. that says he defied orders on an emergency evacuation. They flew over it in a direct line to the Davis base and saw it. And sure enough, there's um, cat tracks, basically how they move material out to McMurdo. They don't fly it in. It's like if you go skiing, they use these big cat tracks every night to groom the trails. Well, they put um, trains behind them, create trains that go across uh, the, the big Arctic polar plateau to bring supplies to the South Pole. Well, those cat tracks continue on from pole, and then they go down into this pit. So they know about it, they work in it, and they protect it. Yeah. Uh, and so that NSA being at South Pole is very suggestive that they're keeping an eye on this asset. And yeah. making sure they they know who's coming and going and enforcing the no fly zone. Yeah, and I named all those other countries earlier. Um, all of a sudden, I'm hearing myself. You hear that echo? Oh, anyway, so I named all those other countries earlier, but U.S. we're one of them too. And in, in an article I was just reading, it was like uh, the new battlefield: uh, Antarctica, China, and U.S. But um, they said that we invested like something. We're investing millions in like six new icebreakers. These things called Poseidons, they're a Boeing-made Poseidon. It's like an unmanned air, aerial vehicle um, to for the use of base inspections. Um, they're, just, they're putting, they're dumping tons of money into this. And uh, you know why? Why? I just, you know, we, that's why I wanted to bring this up and discuss this because obviously um, we're not going to be told on the mainstream news, so we have to look at this read between the lines for ourselves. If we just look back about five years ago, that's when all these uh, very highly placed elite politicians, such as John Kerry on election day, 2016, yeah. mm -hmm. he's in Antarctica, the highest ranking active secretary of state or politician ever to go down there. And he goes on election day when Trump wins. And he flew into McMurdo and then went into the field. Nobody really knows where, but Again, there's the propensity for these massive underground areas that you can't see by drone or satellite or really know where they're at or even know how the entrance is to get into them. Although in I do a presentation at conferences called The Hidden Anomalies of Antarctica, which I'll be giving up in Mount Shasta Summer Conference uh, at the end of August. And I'll show some of these entrances that you could fly a plane or a craft into uh, some of these rocky entrances, as well as a lot of other things, including these uh, antediluvian, looks like civilizations, almost like a Mayan pyramid in one instance, and uh, this craft in New Schwabenland that in 2013, if you do the go back machine uh, on Google Earth, you can see the excavation. And it happens to be in one of their uh, temporary seasonal bases called Conan. And this is a German base to this day. You guys, I was really amazed when I'm, I love maps and I'm pouring over all these maps before my trip, going over these Cold War era maps by National Geographic and Germany never left. Even after the war, those bases became West Germany bases. Now, of course, they're unified Germany, but they're still in New Schwabenland and have always been. So uh, they obviously have a stake in that place. They know there's something there that's worth going back to, to have a seasonal base there every year. Yeah. And 
Well, I would contend this is one of those three: Nina Pinter, Santa Maria. Also, um, during what mm. I've just been researching, um, they were trying to make the, it, you know, the home of the Fourth Reich, and that this is they were trying to use New Schwabenland to preserve the Aryan race, and and apparently there's a there's a way to get from Germany to Antarctica via submarine, and. What I was reading is they had brought ten thousand of the purest, of the purest uh, Germans, racially pure Germans, uh, women. Ten thousand of the most racially pure women via submarine to to the base, and then also twenty five hundred um, Waffen SS soldiers. And they said that each soldier had four women. There was four women to each man. And it was, they were trying to preserve that bloodline. Everybody was carefully selected. And this was going to be the home of the Aryan race. And they were, this is like this was their big project. So if that's true, that would make sense why they're still there. There's they're obviously this is something sacred to them, something very important to them. Or there until now. Because they got to get out of there. Yeah, yeah. So here's here's a possible uh, another location of one of the craft, one of the Nina Pinta Santa Maria, and of course you have the uh, die Glock, the bell, mm-hmm. and that had uh, time machine properties as well. They also had U-boats. You mentioned yeah. uh, the ability to go Germany to Antarctica. Most likely, the very first nuclear-powered submarines. And those nuclear scientists came here and worked on the Manhattan Project, which then most famously bombed Japan at the end of the war, but also helped create our Nautilus nuclear submarines and nuclear aircraft carriers and the whole line, because you don't have to get refueling, right? Especially if you're a submarine, you never even have to come to the surface. Look, we live on, Earth is essentially a water planet. It's 29% landmass. It's almost three quarters ocean and water surface. So if you know where you're going, especially some of these routes under the ice, and in my presentation, I show some slides of what Antarctica looked like, what it would look like without the ice. And there are these fjords that literally go hundreds of miles (laughs) into the inland of Antarctica, including one right there in New Schwabenland. And so you can't tell me the Germans didn't figure that out. They were incredible and brave seamen. Remember yeah. that movie, Das Boot, shows uh, the face of adversity. And so many of them died. It was one of the highest percentages of uh, deaths in, in the German armed forces who perished in those U-boats. But they had, they also had these massive container-like um, submarines that could carry quite a bit of material and personnel. And I, I've studied that too, that they did bring out a lot of the pure Aryan race to bring down there. But there were problems with the Antarctica base. That mainly being not only is it, even if you're living under the ice and it's not that cold, it, it's a very sterile environment. So germs, bacteria, nothing can really live there. So the Germans were having a problem that every time a new shipment would come in, if one guy had a common cold, it would just spread throughout the whole community and everybody would get sick. And hmm, so after Operation High Jump, which was 46, 47, Admiral Byrd goes down there with an armada of ships. And in the Battle of High Jump was routinely defeated. 47. Uh, yeah, there's 4,700 Marines, allegedly, that went on that. 
Yeah. What do you need that for a research mission? What yeah. do you need yeah. an aircraft carrier? Exactly. What do you need uh, submarines and uh, okay. 33 planes? And by the way, they so they found the base 2211. They found the, the new Berlin base. They were starting to do reconnaissance. Second day, they go back in to do a heavy bombing and flip. Every one of those ships, every one of those pilots, everybody aboard those allied craft gone off the radar, never to be seen or heard from again. Then within hours on the same day, that's when the craft came up out of the ice and confronted the Armada. Could have easily taken out every single ship. What they wanted to do is just send a message back to Washington, D.C., don't mess with us. So they <clears throat> sliced one of them in half, the uh, USS Murdoch. Boy, wouldn't that be a, a soldier of fortune to go down there and find that ship mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. directly energy laser weapon slicing right through it? And so that's what made Bird order the retreat two months into the six-month expedition. Yeah, now, he had a bit of a big mouth. He shouldn't have been talking to reporters. He, but when they were it, coming back up, they had a Chilean uh, reporter for El Mercuro in uh, Santiago who spoke to Bird and he said, uh, we're gonna have to confront an enemy that can fly pole to pole at incredible speeds. This is in 19, early 1947. Yeah. Yeah. We still don't have above ground technology that can do that. So they're obviously talking about some kind of very exotic advanced craft that did do that. And you know, what's interesting about that. So he got back in April of 47 and what July or June or July is when Roswell happened, right? That's right. Yeah. Um, so the Roswell hadn't even happened yet. Yeah. No, it hadn't even yeah. happened. So, but that was like a gift to the U.S. There's, a, you know, there's all kinds of speculation on that craft, you know, being purposely sent here. You know, are gifted mm-hmm. to us for the for that reason. But do you know? Are you familiar with Operation Tiberian? I'm not sure if I'm saying that right. Uh, yeah, that's it, the British was spying on uh, New Shropshire. Yeah. So the, yeah. So that actually. So that's actually what. Um that's actually what tipped off bird for operation high jump because it was in 45 actually that they sent 30 British, uh, 30 British soldiers and they discovered this underground city. And apparently only one of the 30 guys survived. And um, so he made it back and then they sent. uh, So in 1945, also they sent 10 British commandos back again with explosives this time, they found the entrance. It took them, five, it was a five hour walk to get from the entrance down into the base. But when once they got there, they were actually confronted by the Germans, but they had made notes like saying that they were like super impressed with the technology they seen. It was all artificially lit. And they said that it, it looked, they had looked like the Germans had been in Antarctica for a long time. Like they were well-established. And this was in 1945. Uh, they had loading docks and and hangars and all kinds of stuff. They were confronted, but they were able to blow the entrance. Three of the guys made it out. The rest didn't survive. And one of those three guys somehow um, got the intel to Admiral Byrd, which tipped them off for Operation High Jump the following year. So, uh, You may be uh, also getting this information from the Nexus magazine articles where I um, read about it. Yeah, and, and they had uh, had already genetically engineered the Polar Man, 
Did you remember that account that they had these um, genetically engineered soldiers where they would not be affected by the cold in the same way humans were? And that they, they were those three guys who made it out were being pursued by the polar men. And um, had they not been able to get out a few transmissions, uh, we probably would never even know about it. But uh, so that's, that's just a sort of an interesting. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't know about that part. No. Yeah, the polar men is a really fascinating account of uh, some, some kind of genetic engineering. And look, this has been going on for a long time, genetic engineering. It came to mm -hmm. our attention with uh, Dolly the sheep was the 1980s. Yeah, we cloned a sheep. Yeah, you don't think they've been cloning or knew about this or can do it now? Of course yeah. they can. So yeah. the interesting thing about, um, well, I, I actually visited some of those British bases, which are now museums on the Palmer Peninsula. That was the, the British base of operations where they were spying on the Nazis the whole time. So then fast forward to uh, the 19, late 1950s. And America goes down there and does these highly top secret nuclear bomb tests in the upper atmosphere called Operation Argus, A-R-G-U-S, which are still top secret. All of the other nuclear bomb tests in the Nevada test site and elsewhere, Bikini Atoll, that's all declassified, has been for decades. This one is still classified because, well, the cover story was they were testing nuclear up at the uh, high altitude to help uh, get the greenhouse gases to escape, which is called alternative one. Alternative two is the think tanks, the Tavistock Institute um, in the UK and the Brookings Institute here in the US were saying, well, we, we have to start uh, role playing, gaming out what's going to happen if we destroy the planet. Operation or uh, alternative two is we're going to go underground. Alternative three is to go off planet. And I do have a chapter, alternative one, two, and three, where I get into it. And as it relates to Antarctica, so they're down there in the Southern Ocean, which, by the way, uh, National Geographic has just officially recognized as the fifth ocean of the world. You want to win a, a bar bet, name the five oceans of the world, and very few will get the Southern Ocean. But I can tell you, it's very much distinguished from uh, the other oceans it connects to because there is the Antarctic uh, upwelling of uh, nutrients from the ocean and then the mixing of the colder fresh water coming off from Antarctica. Interesting. So they're doing these tests. Where do they go? Right off the shore of New Schwabenland. And they, they lobbed some nukes at the base, at base 211. And when, when, what year was this again? So this would have been 1956, 1957. And then right on the heels of it, literally the next year is the proposals for the first Antarctica Treaty. And that's really interesting because here's a picture of uh, Argus. These are the nuclear missiles that they were lobbing. Uh, Operation Argus was a series of U.S. low-yield, high-atmosphere nuclear weapons. It's kind of like right out of uh, Wikipedia. You can understand this. August, September 58, over the South Atlantic Ocean. Alternative one is implement to blast holes through the stratosphere to release heat and pollution. Uh, atomic weapons in the high atmosphere in the ozone belt. That's where those holes in the ozone came from. It was actually from us doing this stupid stuff, blowing oh, yeah. up the upper atmosphere. 
No mm-hmm. shit. Yeah, I've seen those yep. pictures. It was all from. Remember, it was down in Antarctica. The holes in the ozone. Yeah, yeah. It was from Argus. Blame it on. Really it was the cover to finally get revenge on the Nazis. And so when the Antarctica Treaty came out, just in the following years, they had a very specific clause that there would be no nuclear testing, no nuclear bombs in Antarctica. Why did they have to make such a big deal about it unless it had already been done? Exactly. Why did they make uh, anything a law? Yeah. Yeah. If I were ever given the opportunity to go back there, I would certainly go to New Schwabenland and check that out with some Geiger counters and then find out if it indeed had been nuked because there would still be a radioactive residue there. And then mm-hmm. you guys remember the flyover of DC, right? Oh, yes. So in uh, 9th, 52. July 1952. Yep. And for a long time, everybody thought it was aliens. No, 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 no. no that was the Germans. The Nazis uh. that could fly pole to pole at incredible speeds that do not need to be refueled like our craft do. So they were flying over Washington, D.C. saying, look, we can we can penetrate your most sensitive airspace and there's nothing you can do about it. Yeah. Yep. So they forced the Eisenhower administration into working with them uh, or at least giving them the ability to not be uh, taken out. Why do you think so few Nazis were extracted out of South America? Really only one uh, Eichmann who went to Israel and tried and hung there, but uh, they were all down there. Um, when I was, it's just a little antidote from uh, my trip down there. I'm reading in the Lonely Planet, we're driving through Bolivia. It's like, oh yeah, you can go to this town. There's really not much to see, but there's this old lumber mill. And in the back is a cabin where Claus Barbie, the uh, butcher of Leon, lived the rest of his life. And uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, in the Lonely Planet. Yeah, you can read about fugitive Nazis all over South America. Of course, mm-hmm. Mengele he, uh, died a natural. I think he drowned in Brazil and a and, whole bunch of them, man. And, and so it's tragic travesty of justice. These guys got off, and yeah. many of them lived their lives. And obviously, there's still yeah. a presence there if they're being shipped back to Argentina now. Um, right. Yeah. So, so fast forward to today. Not only is there a outflow of some of these uh, forthright bases go into their South America holdings. Here's another thing I found out when I was in South America when I was doing uh, the Nazi research. There are massive tracts of land in Chile and Argentina that were bought up uh, pre-World War II and right afterwards. They're, they're so huge. They're like the size of some of our small states, like the size of Delaware or Connecticut. Nobody knows who runs them. Mm-hmm. Nobody knows who does it. And look, our CIA was deposing democratically elected leaders and putting in fascists, right, to protect these factions of Nazis that were operating out of South America. And remember, it wasn't just uh, us that got the paperclip Nazis. The, the Vatican helped them escape through the rat lines. They, they kind of went all around the world if there was a fascist um, sympathetic dictator like Piran in Argentina. And then you get, um, yeah. Jose Aliente in Chile and put in Pinochet and the dirty war, which by the way, Pope Francis was sympathetic towards this fascist government. There's a lot of dirt on this current Pope. And I do think that's why he's the last Pope. And yeah, well, that's interesting because 
if you have any doubts about the Vatican, um, I mean, they were aiding and embedding these Nazis. I mean, and yeah. what for? What for if they're supposed to be, you know, what they're what they claimed as far as operation under the guise of spirituality or Catholic Church? chapter called vatican nazis how, how they yep, man i'm gonna have to get, go i'm gonna have to get this book oh you guys are gonna love it <laughs> i'm definitely gonna get it yeah. a lot more yeah and, uh really kind of takes this, us up to this modern age when you can see all of these grand plans new world order stuff the depopulation agenda it's all coming together hand in hand right now in real time yeah it's not like oh we better watch out for this it's coming no, oh, it's, it's happening here. yeah and, and we're in the thick of it do you have a do you have a chapter in there about antarctica being an ice wall and the earth being flat no. <laughs> i'm joking i can't entertain that idea no me neither <laughs> sorry flat earthers uh, well, look, look I, I first of all i traveled around the world one direction or basically around the equatorial regions and ended up in the same place by going one direction but i've been within uh a couple degrees of the Arctic Circle in Trondheim, Norway, and I've been within one degree of the Antarctic Circle. And the farther you go north or south, the colder it gets. You stay yeah. on the equator, it gets warm. It's a globe. Well, even yeah. the, even the guy, even the guy who officially discovered Antarctica in 1820, that that Russian or Russian guy or whatever Fabian or whatever his name is, he said he claims that he circumnavigated the continent twice. Okay, yeah. well, you can't do that if it's an ice wall. <laughs> if it's yeah. not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm discovering Antarctica. He was the first yeah. to circumnavigate the Southern Ocean. Even though, it, even though it still appeared in maps in like the 1400s and stuff, and there's a lot of discrepancies there. But, uh, but either way, he, that was the report on how they discovered it. So, I mean, you have to just eliminate that report, I guess, if, if the Earth is flat. Yeah, as well as Captain Cook doing the whole circumnavigation. How could you do that in short order? Well, was, uh... even even Operation High Jump, if you read about it, they said that they that they encircled the continent in two directions before they attacked or before they did whatever they. How can you, you can't encircle, encircle yeah, an ice, that doesn't yeah. exist? <laughs> so I don't know. Uh, no, I do know. It's, yeah, you, I think yeah. it's just diops. It's just a way to. Get style. us to argue over something that really doesn't matter and waste our time doing that rather than bingo issues. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. It really it, it, yeah. And there's, yeah, exactly. And what's, what's crazy to me is like, it's not just, it, it's a massive psyop that they're putting money into because there was even a documentary on Netflix about mm -hmm. flat earth. Yeah. And, oh, and you notice how very well produced they all are. And yeah. it kind of makes you scratch your head and be like, wow, maybe there was something there, but. Well, they're they're realistic they, and logical about it. No way. Well, then they use it as a as a discrediting. So if you believe anything, so one, you're a conspiracy theorist. If you believe anything outside of whatever mainstream narrative they want you to believe, and then they say, oh, and all these people believe in flat Earth. They just blanket all of us as flat Earthers. I've noticed yeah. every single like article or thing that's like bashing conspiracy theories or conspiracy theory. It's they throw flat earth in there every time. It's true. It's every a single good point. time. Yeah. Right. A good point. Well, and and what so, happens what happens if you you're preaching that the earth is flat and that there is no space, which is my favorite one, um, then that automatically makes you able to debunk any secret space program or any space program in general. Uh it's they just they're just trying to muddy the waters. Deflection. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The good stuff. 
you know, I speak at a lot of conferences and we, we have a little game amongst us called uh, spot the mole. And, and almost invariably every single one of these conferences, somebody comes to watch the speakers. And the saying is they don't come to hear what we're saying. They come to hear what we're not saying because they're still protecting some of these core secrets and they want to see if any of us are uh, tapping into that yet. And yeah. uh, it, it's so funny because as we start to advance and I believe we all have the ability to start reading the aura of people. You can kind of tell something's just off on this guy. Right. Sure. And then you see him in the back row and sometimes they're taking notes. And this last conference I was at at Vegas, there were a bunch of, um, of super soldiers. They called the guy out and everybody looks back at him and he's all kind of flustered and he gets up and leaves. So, um, <laughs> yeah, nice. They don't like their cover blown, but uh, yeah, I'm. I've yeah. heard that's amazing. I've heard that almost every one of these conferences, no matter how small, there's like an infiltrator. Yeah, uh, duty. The one we met, duty 2018. Yeah, uh, I I didn't notice them, but apparently uh, I heard a bunch of people notice these two guys that looked like kind of like that, and yeah. they they were like, "Are these guys like mm -hmm. intelligence <laughs> agency or yeah, what like who are these guys?" Yeah, I mean. Yeah. It, it makes sense and you know there's and there's journalists there to write hit pieces on us you know there's oh, like, yeah there's all that too uh, oh yeah so um what when is that conference in mount shasta that you're speaking at yeah it's the very last weekend of august called the mount shasta summer conference i think there's only about 40 tickets left it definitely will sell out they're doing it in the uh mount shasta city park there's a bunch of buildings that the uh, producer has rented. If you use the promo code Brad, my name, I think you get 10% off. So if anybody wants to go to that, I'd say get your tickets soon. They'll certainly sell out in July and uh, it's gonna be a great one. Michael Jaco is gonna be there. They're getting uh, Laura Eisenhower. They're nice. getting um, Alex Collier out of retirement. He's what? All right. Oh, dude, that's awesome. That's as well as oh, man. Uh, many others so, so really great event if you guys can make it love to see you out there ooh, I'm a, <laughs> that's, <laughs> tempting. that's really tempting well yeah. I, we might what are the dates you it's said in august you no, said. august yeah, Not, like 25th yeah. through 28th something like okay, that okay late august that's that, that's tempting um mm, we'll, is... we'll talk after this i'm gonna get more details from you um my first conference i've run to is in mount shasta actually right on it was <clears throat> Eclipse of Disclosure. I don't know if you remember it from 2017. Corey Good, Michael, uh, Michael Sala, Laura Eisenhower. A lot of, yep. Yeah. Some, some big names. What was there. that? What was the conference you just went to in Vegas with the Super Soldiers? That was the 5D um, Summit. Branded as 5D events. Yeah. When the, I, I know about that was one. I know about those that's come to vegas a few times right or that yeah the yeah. one that like yeah okay lauren uh so he's doing yeah. another mm -hmm. one in uh the first weekend of november another live conference i've done a bunch of online conferences but this will be another live one down in laughlin nevada just uh 70 miles south of vegas called uh, disclosure on the river so that sounds cool and that's a good time of year to travel because it's still nice temperatures down there it's i like the sound of that disclosure on the river yeah, um, yeah, 
Hey, if you guys, uh, I think the Shasta one's all booked up, but I could uh, tell the producer if you guys want to come down do interviews or maybe uh, moderate a panel or do something like that. Yeah, that Ooh, would. Yeah, be. We, we'll definitely be talking with you on that. That would be. That sounds really cool. Okay. Yeah. And um, before we wrap this up, where can people find your book? How can they get it? Sure. Well, I would always say go to your local bookstore. Request that they can get it through our distributor very quickly rather than uh, supporting that big online retailer named after a rainforest in South America. <laughs> They've amassed too much power. But if you go to yeah. uh, cccpublishing.com, that's through my office, and then uh, go through here, and I can sign copies for people on the way out. So Reese's Publishing, one word, and uh, there you'll find Beyond Esoteric. And this is the third in a rebook series so i've been working on this material for a better part of a decade yeah no that's uh, i'm actually really looking forward to checking that out um, Why not? yeah man yeah me too yeah thank you for coming on and doing this and sharing all this with us it's been a lot of fun i think we covered a lot in a short amount of time oh it's absolutely my pleasure happy yeah. to help mm -hmm. um i guess guys i think uh do we have any other announcements um just just a reminder, grab a ticket for the great the, family of light yeah. gathering. Uh, other than that, the promo codes, 15% um, uh, off all of our Teespring merch, uh, promo code CGI Joe. You get 10% off of the Hopewell Farm CBD with promo code Journey to Truth 10 and 10% off the Omnia Radiation Balancer with uh, promo code Truth in all caps. Um, all those links will be below. And Brad, if you don't mind sending me all your links um, that you were just talking about, and I'll put those in the description also. You bet. Yeah. All right, guys. Have a great evening. Thank you, Brad. Thanks. This yeah, is amazing. Thank you, so much, um, thank you guys for all the donations. Thanks for your support. Um, we can't do this without you. I said that a million times, but uh, I, I truly mean that. Um, you're you're the reason we're still going. So thank you for that. And uh, we will catch you next time. Good night. Good night. <laughs>